This is the MDRT Podcast. A large part of being an advisor is knowing how to handle client objections and concerns. During a recent conversation at MDRT headquarters, Qi Bing from Shenzhen, China. Will Richardson, San Francisco, California. Bob Garno, Bedford, New Hampshire. And Ted Rusinoff from Stowe, Ohio. Discussed how they addressed these. Please note that Qi Bing participated in Chinese through an interpreter. 嗯，在工作实践当中，我发现的反对意见是，我是一位公务员，我有社会保险，我的职业更稳定，为什么还要买个人保险呢？我的问答是：In my work practice, um, the objection that I often heard was, I am a public servant. I have a very good uh. Benefits, Social Security, and what? Why do I need to buy additional uh, personal insurance? My answer is, ah, in the is not sufficient to cover those needs and treatment. 有些更好的治疗方法和精准的治疗需要个人支付费用，而社会基础保险是不足以开支的。And some precise and better treatment and better solution would need to be self-paid, and those basic social security as uh. Uh, fund would not be able or would not be sufficient to pay for those treatments. A lot of our clients, when we first had a conversation, they weren't big fans of life insurance, and we're never going to talk to somebody about buying life insurance or long-term care insurance just to buy it. What they're looking at it is how it fits their situation, how it can create some efficiencies, potentially help them save taxes down the line, and. Really, when our other clients who have been in your situation have thought about some of these things, it's not so much about how they feel about it today. Many of our clients who are thinking about long-term care insurance today, they may not have a vision of ever needing it, and frankly, we hope they never do. When they think about it down the road, twenty, thirty years from now, they want to be in a position to where, if they have to pay for this thing that they hope they don't ever need, they want to be able to do it in a way that is efficient, so that they don't have to sell an asset that they don't want to sell, they don't have to sell a property they don't want to sell, and they've got some tax-efficient tools to to make sure that works. Because what we know is. The most successful people we've ever talked to, they like having options and they like having a plan in place. And having healthcare costs down the line at retirement can be disruptive to just about any kind of retirement plan that that we've ever come across. And what we find in having that conversation with clients is is getting them to think about what other people like them are doing. Sometimes they might think they have more money than anybody else that's ever bought long-term care insurance, and getting them to understand that that's not the case. Is very very helpful, and one of the things in the context of life insurance, nobody buys life insurance. They buy what it provides their family. And some of the best questions that that we've found and heard from others over the years are simple things like, "What's the best outcome if we do something? What's the worst outcome if we do something? And what's the best outcome if we do nothing? 
and what's the worst outcome if we do nothing? And that's a really interesting conversation, and often what people think, they're objecting to what they think something is, not what it really is. There's things that they think they hate that actually solve their problem, and it's just getting them to see that by walking them through how it fits into their picture and their overall plan. And today I think about it when somebody asks a question, that's actually a really good thing because one of the more challenging conversations is when the meeting goes great. They don't ask any questions, they say sounds good and they're nodding and you know it seems like it's almost too easy because there wasn't ever a point where they asked very many questions and so the most effective question that I've found in those kind of situations because there was a time where I would just say wow that was a good meeting and then and then in some cases I would never talk to that person again because they were in the world of I'm gonna think about it and they're probably still right now thinking about it and the challenge was I didn't know what I needed to address because they didn't ask any questions so the really simple question that I asked today is what what kinds of thoughts occur to you about that and whatever that is that's a great question because then they're going to start to reveal things so you just ask questions that are soft and allow them to expand on whatever it is and then eventually they'll tell you whatever that one thing that you needed to know is and that and that makes all the difference in figuring out what we need to do to put the client in a position to make a, a well-informed decision. Life audit is another term that we use. It could also be considered a fact find. What do you currently own? Why did you buy it? And when was the last time you reviewed it? If you don't ask those questions in the beginning of the meeting, then it's going to be easy for an objection to come up because of the fact that you didn't find out what it was that they already had in place. Objections to think about it is another big concern. Quite often, a, a prospect will say, I'll need to talk about this with my wife. Again, if your wife is there, then one suggestion might be what we call the no close close. Right when you're getting ready to ask if they'd like to purchase something, you excuse yourself from the meeting for a, f a few minutes. While you're out of that meeting, the spouses will have the opportunity to review everything you explained to them, and hopefully they can make a decision so that when you come into the room, all you do is you'll look at them and they'll say, we're ready to move forward with your recommendations. The thing that you have to make sure is to understand that objections are not rejection. You don't take it personal, but make sure that you answer the, the objection without being combative. One thing that we heard from a member was silent, equals listen. Both words have the same amount of letters and the same letters. It's just in a different order. But when we become silent, we begin to listen. By listening, we learn what it is that they truly have for needs. And therefore, we, when we make a recommendation, there's going to be minimal objections because we understand what we were talking about. Once you've handled all the objections, ask them, where do you go from here? If you do so, you'll successfully answer any objections there are, and minimize ob those objections. That speaks to the need to keep the client's perspective current, evaluating the past to look ahead and prepare for the future. I want to go back to those three questions that Bob just brought up there, the what do you own, why do you own it, and when was the last time you took a look at it? And we use the word own there uh, on purpose. We want to know what do you own. You might have bought a 10-year term policy four years ago which means you own a six-year term policy. You might have bought a policy that was going to provide for your family with young children and a wife, and 
now maybe what you own is a policy, but you don't have a wife or a young family anymore. And so what you're owning it for has changed. I want to know why you paid the last premium, not why you paid the first premium. And then as we kind of move through that, uh, you end up at the, when was the last time you took a look at it? And it kind of goes back to those analogies that we talked about before. People are reviewing their car purchases on a regular basis, but they aren't sitting down and reviewing their life insurance ownership anywhere near as frequently. And as a result, something that's valued far less, the car they drove to the meeting in, gets a lot of time and attention. But what's really valued uh, or should be valued in that relationship is the life insurance that's uh, a far greater benefit to keeping the ones they love uh, comfortable in the event that they're not there to do it. A challenge that comes up for all of us, or it can, is the idea of value versus cost. And a client might be thinking that the cheapest is the best. And really, what our role is, in, in the context of insurance, it's often to get them to understand that it's better to have more options later. Things that they may not think they care about today, i.e., what could they potentially turn it into or convert it into later, some kind of a permanent plan. Is that an option? And if it is, what are those options and how good are they? And getting them to think about having flexibility now, because the one thing that's unknowable is when are they not going to be insurable anymore? It's going to happen to all of us at some point. And having those options puts them in a position of strength versus a position of weakness because maybe they saved a couple of hundred bucks every five years to get the lower cost provider. So that's the scenario that comes up. And commonly today, another one is there's the world of robo-advisors that are out there. And one of the things that's interesting is what we're finding is that we're often in a place of, in, in the context of financial planning and even investing, it's not about picking funds or doing any of the things, because robots can definitely do that. It's more about having a conversation with a client that keeps them on track when, when times are scary. And no matter what, what software the robot has, it, it doesn't have the ability, that human interaction, to remind the client what they're doing, help them have a historical perspective, and that whatever is happening right now has happened before. And if they stay on track with their long-range goals, they'll be in good shape versus being reactive to whatever they're saying on TV, because that's always negative. Whatever's going on on CNBC or whatever channel it happens to be is always negative, and we have to keep our clients on track with what's really going on, which is always better than what they think from what they're seeing um, on the news. Well, I, I want to just pick up on that idea of making sure that they're buying something today that's going to continue to work for them later with an unknowable future. And my sister is a breast cancer survivor, and that's a recent activity where uh, I sold her a 10-year term policy uh, about eight years ago. And last year when she was diagnosed with breast cancer, that convertibility option became a critical component in the plan. It might not have been the thing we focused on in the conversation when she originally purchased the insurance, but it definitely was the thing we focused on in the conversation when we realized her insurability would definitely be challenged right now, given her recent experiences. So looking at the big picture, maintaining the flexibility is always a critical component that's a big part of the value and, and should always be considered uh, when you're looking at that long term. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, one thing that we should also keep in mind when we have a prospect is that sometimes you might lose the prospect because you are recommending a higher priced product. So one thing you might consider is just putting term in place with a company so they do become your client. But then the hope is that you will then have an opportunity as you get the trust that you deserve from them 
to recommend a product that will have all those benefits of convertibility in the future. What you don't want to have happen is find out in the last year of a term policy that it can't be continued any longer when you're uninsurable because at that time it's too late to find out that it was a bad product or a bad decision. While many insurance purchases begin with online research, a high percentage of those consumers ultimately still work with an advisor. I think the value of the advisor is ultimately coming through. It might not always be recognized in the beginning, but I think in the end. And having that person to help them overcome that procrastination of they're too busy and maybe they think they need life insurance, but how do they go get it without having somebody they trust help them know how to do it and what they should even be thinking about it? That, that has to be important. Well, I think, you know, as we're talking today, we're, we're talking about setting the stage. You know, the robo-advisor doesn't set the stage. We're talking about managing the right kind of questions we ask in order to understand what the real objections are so we can pivot to the right analogies or engage with the issue that's really most important to them. And I don't see the computer doing that kind of managing the process. And so our customers are going to be left, if they're without us, they're going to be left paralyzed. They're going to be left stagnant without the ability to be motivated to make the right decision. I think the human factor that we bring, the personal, the relational component that we bring to this conversation is that if we really are taking that silent and listen idea and bringing that together, knowing what they really need, but also going back to what Bob said, sell them what they want so that you, you can have them as a customer, you can build the trust, and then allow that relationship to deliver what they truly need. I think that's what we're called to do as advisors. That's why we're here. I think in closing regarding this, we also have to set the stage by owning what the products that we're recommending. You need to believe it, which means you own it. And it's very hard to convince someone else to purchase something that you've never purchased yourself. So buy something now on yourself so you believe in it and can offer it in the future. That brings us to the end of this month's episode. If you'd like to subscribe, you can find us on iTunes at MDRT Podcast. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.